You know, I don't think anyone should ever make a decision from a place of fear. It should always be from a place of peace. There are very few situations in life that I think fear-based decisions make the most sense. Um, and that's, you know, like life or death situations where you literally don't have time to think about it. And it all, it is just like fear. But besides that, it's like, you've got time and you should take it until you have peace. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. Let's say you're a birth expert. You've been working with pregnant mothers for years and you're finally having the home birth of your dreams. Is firm education enough? Or will there possibly be unexpected tests in the emotional and mental aspects of birth? Well, hey there, happy home birthers. I am currently enjoying all of the newborn snuggles on maternity leave. So I have some encore episodes for you for the next few weeks. Some of these episodes are from the very beginning of the podcast, and I wanted to give them an opportunity to see new life, uh, to re-listen to these oldies but goodies, and I hope that they bring you something new. Enjoy, and I will see you back here after maternity leave. This week, we're speaking with the marvelous Dr. Courtney Kayla. Dr. Courtney is a nervous system-centered chiropractor specializing in families. She's the owner of Our Well House, a multidisciplinary wellness center in Dallas, Texas. Her mission is to encourage others to experience freedom in their physical, mental, and spiritual health. She is passionate about empowering others to take control of their health by living a lifestyle that honors their God-given innate ability to heal. We are going to spend part of this episode discussing chiropractic care and then the rest diving deep into Dr. Courtney's own home birth journey. And wow, you are going to be in for so much wisdom sprinkled throughout her story. Okay, let's get to the good stuff. As always, please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa, and this show is not medical advice, it's an educational tool, so continue to take empowered responsibility for yourself and your family. Dr. Courtney Kayla, I am so excited to have you on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thanks for having me, girl. Uh, I can't wait. Okay, so for anyone who's listening who doesn't know about you, would you take a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. So I'm a doctor of chiropractic. I specialize in pediatric and prenatal chiropractic, and I own a multidisciplinary wellness clinic in the North Dallas, Texas area called Our Well House. And so I practice chiropractic there, serving all the moms, all the babies through all the seasons that life brings. And then I have a pelvic floor PT in office with us, a functional medicine provider, a functional nutritionist, and a massage therapist. That is so nice. I love it when there's like a one-stop shop where you can go and get all the things that you need. How supportive is that to moms and families? That is an incredible thing that you've built. Thank you so much. It's like seriously a dream come true because all these people that I now get to share walls with are people that... I've known and loved for so many years and have referred to exclusively. And so really like all the people I serve that have been with me all this time, they know these people because I've been referring to them. They've done like virtual appointments with them, you know, like they've tried to create their own community within my referrals. 
And then being able to share walls, it's like, you know, the biggest blessing. Like there's some of my favorite people in the entire world. So I know, I know like sometimes with a wellness collective, you can be like, but do you really like refer to that person? Or are you just saying that? Cause you like work together. And my community knows like, these are people I've genuinely referred to for years. And I've like been like, please come share walls with me. And they're here finally. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Now it's like, go see so-and-so she's down the hall to the left. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> how easy. That is amazing. And you also host events there, don't you? We do. Yeah. I don't know what that will look like for 2022, but, um, a big thing that was on my heart, especially through the past few years. Um, but in 2021 was really to just create a safe space for families to grow and thrive, whether that's, you know, through chiropractic care, but also building community is one of our main missions. And so, especially in spaces where, you know, churches stopped meeting and, these other, you know, real community driven places stopped gathering, or there was a lot of fear or um, uh, regulations and rules behind those meetings. We just stepped out in faith and said, you are free and you are welcome here. And so we hosted gatherings where you could come and you could learn more about, let's see, we did like one on metabolic health with Fallon. We did, um, we had Carrie talk about um, ways to like reduce the toxic load within your lifestyle and nutrition. Um, we've had our functional medicine providers speak. We've had so many different topics and it's just been, you know, members from our community, but also people from the surrounding area that have just had an opportunity to learn and grow in a space where they feel free to do so. That is really, really cool. I love your vision and heart behind that. And what a great, what a great resource in such a time that this has been. So that's awesome. Thanks. Now, the reason that I have you here um, is number one, I'm so excited to hear about your own birth journey and your home birth experience. And then also because you are such a great resource when it comes to chiropractic care. And if there's one thing that I have mentioned more in my podcast, probably than anything else, it's chiropractic care. And if there's one thing that I haven't focused on when it comes to having people on, it's chiropractic care. So I figured I just need to bring the best of the best on here to have them discuss chiropractic care, what the benefits are, how this can help really any mother, but especially a mom who's planning to have a physiological, just natural to its core home birth. Um, So that's what I thought that we could start with. So would you kind of let me know when it comes to chiropractic care, we're going to talk about the benefits, but when should a mom start considering this kind of care? And are there any benefits to starting beforehand, like when you're trying to conceive? I absolutely think that moms should start as soon as possible. So I love that you talk about chiropractic care all the time. There are many midwives in the area that don't even want you as a client unless you're under chiropractic care because it makes their job just so much more straightforward. And so we work with a lot of midwives in the area, um, lots of other professionals, because, you know, when it comes to achieving a normal physiological labor as chiropractors, I think a lot of people think that we specialize in the musculoskeletal system. And there's a lot of value in that, right? Like there's a lot that happens in your hips and pelvis during labor and that the musculoskeletal system really needs that support. But the most important thing that I think is often missed and where people think I practice so differently, but this is actually how chiropractic was founded. This is back in our textbooks is that as chiropractors, we specialize in the nervous system. So our job is to 
restore proper communication between your brain and your body. Now your brain uses your spinal cord as like a highway. And then the nerve root exits between each vertebra. And that's like your little exit you would take. And then the little nerve is like, you know, your little side road, and that will go out to let's say the heart. And so that message will travel down that highway, take the exit to the heart, go to the heart and say, Hey heart, you need to beat the heart will beat. Then that message will come back through that pathway to go back to the brain and say, Hey brain, we did our job. And the brain goes, great, go do it again. But it does that to every cell organ and tissue within the body. So we're checking the nerves that control the uterus and the ovaries. We're checking the nerves that control the glands in the brain that release the hormones that also control and coordinate the function of those organs the nervous system is the foundation for every cell organ and tissue within your body. But when it comes to pregnancy, a nervous system is actually the first thing that forms in the womb. It starts as the notochord and develops into the neural tube. When you look at embryology and develops into the brain and spinal cord, that is then what coordinates, okay, we're now going to grow a heart and you're going to be able to start hearing that heartbeat between that eight to 12 week time. And then we're going to, you know, develop lungs. It controls the entire development of this little tiny baby and the initiation of labor. Like I always thought that it was just such like a, um, like a, a musculoskeletal process of like the baby gets lower, lower, lower cervix dilates. All right. It's showtime hormones start rushing. Let's do it. It's actually, there's some research out of UT Southwestern that shows that the initiation of labor is caused by cells released from the baby's lungs that travel through the mother's bloodstream to her brain that tell the glands in the brain, Hey, this baby is ready to breathe air and then releases the hormones that initiate labor. So thinking about how communicative the whole process is, it's important to make sure that those communication pathways are free from interference. And that allows for not only a more comfortable and like straightforward pregnancy, meaning all of the common issues that people say, oh, just wait for the back pain, just wait for the heartburn. Many women don't experience that. It's common, but it is not normal. So having a more comfortable pregnancy, but also a more straightforward birth and labor, a more supportive recovery postpartum. And when beginning care, I always say sooner is better than later. I love serving women before they even like in their preconception journey, all the way through having their babies and postpartum and then having subsequent pregnancies. So the sooner you can get under care, the better. That's amazing. I remember reading a study, gosh, it's been a long time ago, so I don't remember the details, but, and actually maybe it was in the book, Well-Adjusted Baby. I love that book, but uh, they were talking about women who were trying to conceive and were having trouble. And I think that it was like, 90% of moms who went to see a chiropractor when trying to conceive after doing that, they got pregnant within like what, maybe the first three months or something. So it seems like so often just that nervous system needs to be rebalanced so that blood can supply what is needed to, you know, our organs so that we can actually conceive in the first place. Is that something that you've noticed in your practice? Oh, absolutely. One of the testimonies I have is even from my, from one of my friends. And now this is not necessarily like a fertility one, but it's a pregnancy one that relates with that. Like the circulation is she had her 20 week ultrasound and they were like, Ooh, you know what? Um, we're seeing something that we don't like. So we're going to send you to a specialist. So she told me what they saw and I knew like it was a, a medical term and she was like, Oh, they saw, they saw this. And I knew that it meant that the placenta was dying. The placenta oh. was not getting the blood supply that it needed. But I was like, okay, like I was serving her as her doula. And so I was just like, 
go to your specialist. You know, I said, you know what, in the meantime, have you been getting adjusted? Like, I was like, I think I was in chiropractic school, so I wasn't adjusting her, but I was like, have you been getting adjusted? And she's like, yeah, like one time a week from a guy that just kind of like pops and cracks me. And I'm like, okay, like, that's great. Maybe go to someone who's Webster certified. And so she went to one of my friends who I referred her to who's Webster certified, saw her. Um, I think she did four visits in two weeks, did her follow-up ultrasound. And they were like, we don't see anything wrong, but we definitely, we saw the previous scan. We knew what was walking in here and we're not sure how that is gone, but like it's gone. And so, I mean, just an incredible story of, I mean, some chiropractic care is better than no chiropractic care, but especially when we're talking about like pregnancy and preconception, I do think that there are some certifications and qualifications that chiropractors should have. Right. Yep. Totally, totally agree. Um, and that's kind of what my next question is. How do I find that chiropractor, the one that's going to help me really restore that blood flow and help my placenta, you know, thrive? Um, and what questions do I ask to make sure that that is the correct person? So I guess one of, one of the main things is you mentioned Webster certification. So is that, is that really important? Webster certification truly is the gold standard right now when it comes to prenatal chiropractic care in other forms of, you know, in other seasons of life, I don't think it's that important, but with pregnancy, I absolutely think it's important. There is so much more that is happening in your body during pregnancy than the average person. And you need a practitioner who knows exactly what changes are occurring, who, I mean, even better, who's been able to witness those changes occurring, who's seen a natural, normal, and physiological birth. Like I've seen my best friend's pelvis literally expand like probably four inches at least. And I'm like, dude, thank <laughs> you. I'm like, relax and hormone bless you. Yeah. I know that the relax and hormone can be so annoying in the third trimester when you're like, my pubic bone won't stay stable. And like my heels or, or my, um, insides, my feet are dropping because of all of the, like the ligament laxity, but I'm like, that is God's purpose for it. For sure. So, God's provision. <laughs> yes. Yes. But you know, um, so the first thing I always tell people to look for when trying to find a chiropractor is I tell them, find someone who talks about the nervous system, go to their website. They should have nervous system listed somewhere. They should have wellness focused. You shouldn't really be seeing pictures of like back pain and injury. There are seasons of life that that could serve you really well, but, um, preconception and pregnancy is not one of those. So look for wellness specifically, make sure it mentions the nervous system. Now, the second thing I would see is make sure that they're Webster certified. Even if you're in preconception, if you were to get pregnant, you would want to be able to transition through that season with that same provider. So, and I mean, if they're, if they specialize in pregnancy, then, then they're seeing the fertility, they're seeing the preconception, they're seeing the postpartum, it comes with it. They're seeing the babies It comes with that same season. So Webster certification, um, you know, basically the whole purpose of that is it's a biomechanical analysis to balance the sacrum and then all of the ligaments that connect to the uterus. So nervous system first, Webster second, you can check if someone is certified in Webster technique by going to icpa4kids.com. Now to be listed on the ICPA website, you only have to pay an annual membership fee. So just because they're listed there doesn't mean they're Webster certified or that they've done any of the courses. You, it'll show you if they're Webster certified. It'll literally say Webster certified. There'll be some other certifications that people can do like CACCP, which is just a different diplomat program for um, that they've done all of the courses and different things like that. So, but the Webster certification one is the most important there. 
Okay. And so you said that the Webster certification, it's the biomechanical analysis. What can you explain that a little further? Yeah. So it's basically checking six different areas of the body, specifically how it relates to the sacrum and the uterus. So for example, you're going to be checking their sacrum, which the nerves that exit there are the nerves that control the lower digestive and um, reproductive organs, which are obviously going through a lot. There's also ligaments on the inside of the sacrum that attach to the uterus. Mm -hmm. You're also going to be checking the tailbone and the sacrotuberous ligament. Sacrotuberous ligament connects to from the sacrum to the ischial tuberosity, which is pretty much right around the fold of your glute. So it's like your butt cheek. And so working on that ligament can actually unwind all the torsion within the spine and spinal cord, as well as in the uterus. It's called Logan basic technique. That's a very like chiropractic technique name. Um, but it's also assessing for the round ligament on the front, the pubic bone and, um, uh, the psoas muscle and the piriformis muscle. So all of those, you just, it doesn't mean you need them worked on every single time, but you need someone that's checking them because so much is changing within your body. Like first trimester baby doubles in size every day. So even though there's not a lot outwardly to show, there's a lot that's having to happen internally. And you just want to make sure that someone knows what's happening within the body and is checking those things every time to prevent things from, you know, being painful or uncomfortable or issues, positional issues later on. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've always heard Webster certification, make sure they're Webster certified, but truth be told, I didn't know the exact like, okay, but what does that actually mean? So thank you. That's very helpful to understand. Um, so how often you're saying, you know, babies doubling in size every day in their first trimester. Um, that seems like a lot on a mother's body. Um, so how often are you thinking that moms should be getting adjusted at different times of their pregnancy? I would say way more than you probably think that you need to be getting adjusted. And I say that because most of the time, one of the questions I ask on my intake forms is, do you think you would benefit from nervous system centered chiropractic care? Yes or no. How often do you think that you should be seen? And I would say more often than not, people say like maybe two times a month. I know a lot of midwives, if they have not, you know, had great relations with a chiropractor to, um, you know, talk about frequencies that chiropractors recommend, they often say, oh, see a chiropractor as often as you see me. Well, that's once a month, right. you know, in the beginning. What I say is it's, it's variable to everyone. It, depend it depends on how your body is currently adapting to stressors in your life. But as a general rule of thumb, once a week until 30 weeks, after 30 weeks, I increase that recommendation to twice a week. And with that consistency, it's, I have not had a single mom that has maintained a breech position. Amazing. And I'm not Amazing. flipping babies. I'm not flipping babies. That's something Webster technique is like, we're not a breech turning technique. That is not the case. It is literally just restoring proper communication within the nervous system, allowing the body to do what it needs to do. And all of our moms are comfortable. They're having straightforward birth and labors. Um, I mean, there's obviously always external extenuating circumstances, but yes, one of the stats I have is I have not had a single mama that has had a breach delivery, um, or maintained breach positioning. That's incredible. Like that is a huge testimony. That's amazing. And I was the same. So I actually was seeing a chiropractor once I was feeling like I was a little extra, but it worked out well. Like I was seeing a chiropractor once a week and then I went to two times a week. And then at the end, I was like, oh, let's do three times a week here for a 
little bit. Oh, totally, totally. And and the cool thing is, is some of the different, like uh, we used a health share, we used Samaritan, um, and they cover a lot of chiropractic care during your mm-hmm. pregnancy. So it's really cool. Like it seems to some people like, oh, I just don't know. I know that's an extra cost, but number one, there's so much benefit. Um, and number two, just depending if I know a lot of home birth moms do end up using share plans like Samaritan and a lot of that does end up getting covered. That's so good to know. And also like when you find, you know, like family chiropractic offices, like we set our pricing expecting families of five or more to come in. So I, I don't, and I think about it for myself too. Like I'm the oldest of five kids and I'm like, how much could my parents have afforded to have seven people adjusted in one day, you know? Ah, And so our prices are between 35 and $45 a visit. And we offer like packaging and plans to make it even discounted, even cheaper. So usually when you find, you know, like a family chiropractic office, they offer pricing that I I wouldn't say all of them. I know there are some expensive ones out there, but usually there are some that will offer some reasonable pricing just depending on your needs. Very good. Now I had a question um, when I asked my followers a while back, chiropractic questions, one person, I thought it was a good, a good question what's the difference between chiropractic care and like OT techniques techniques? Well, I'm not, you know, since I'm not trained in OT, it's kind of hard to be like, Oh, here are the exact differences. So I can just tell you from my perspective, but in, in the past, anytime I've shared, you know, some of what I learned in school of the differences or just from my own experience, the differences, I always have OTs and PTs sliding into my DMS who are like, no, this isn't the case. So I think just in general, there's like, there is a continuum, like there's variables with all of this, but in general, like the biggest difference is that chiropractic at its core assesses the nervous system and increases your body's ability to adapt. It's an inside out healing modality and nothing else ignites your own body's ability to restore its own function. Like there's no supplement that you can take that can do that. And so it's not about one of my like favorite, um, like what is it called? Like a metaphor or something, um, is it's not about, I did. Okay. I did this example before the past few years. Okay. But it's not about the virus. It's not about the stressor. It's not about the, the force or the, the injury. Here's the deal. You can have three men sitting on a bench. The guy in the middle got the flu, the guy on the right, he goes home and he ends up getting the flu. The guy on the left didn't get the flu. It's not about the exposure to the virus. It's about the guy on the left had a better adaptability. And that's what we talk a lot about, like, you know, germ theory versus terrain theory. The guy on the left had a better terrain to be able to handle that. But even in the case of like a car accident, you can have two people experience the exact same car accident and one will have significantly more injuries than the other one. It's not about the force from the accident. It's that one had a better ability to adapt those forces that is chiropractic care. And we can't get rid of all the stressors in your life. I tell moms, I'm like, I know sometimes our kids are stressful. You can't get rid of your kids because they're stressful. So we've got to find a way to increase your body's ability to adapt those stressors. So they don't manifest themselves physically for you. So that's chiropractic care. Now, OT techniques, um, it's, it's more in line with like, like PT. So looking more with like musculoskeletal system, some OT, like some pediatric OTs, like on track baby, they do a lot of neurological reflexes are primitive reflexes. Now, primitive reflexes are what initiate in the womb. It's like, um, I think between like 16 weeks or so and all the kicking and punching you feel, those are actually reflexes being activated. 
the biggest activation of those primitive reflexes, which you're born with is through the birth process. And then the first primitive reflex that parents usually notice is the moral reflex, which is where the arms go out and they do like the flailing. Um, and that's how babies integrate sound. At first they do that startle reflex all the time because all sound is scary because it all sounds different than the who they were hearing in the womb. And so they hear the dog bark and they're like, whoa. Oh. And then, then they start realizing this dog barks and I'm still here alive and safe and okay. So that is a safe sound. So they start integrating that reflex. And so, you know, there's, I think there's a bunch of different paths that OTs take. And so I don't want to speak so much to, you know, what in particular they do. There can be a lot of overlap, but in general, the biggest difference I see is chiropractic here is increasing your body's ability to adapt stressors. Whereas those other techniques are maybe helping your body facilitate the symptoms of a lack of adaptation. Yep. Okay. That totally makes sense. And so, yeah, there's room for both of those things to work together, but they do have different functions. Exactly. And another question that um, I got from a, a number of people was, what advice do you have for the general aches and fatigue as we grow in this pregnancy? I mean, gosh, thinking about everything that happens during a pregnancy, all of the changes in your body it causes, I mean, it's draining. It's, it's a very draining experience. Um, so as a chiropractor, what do you see helping with that process? You know, most of the moms that I serve are not uncomfortable. Mm. They feel great. And even at like 40 and 41 weeks, they're like, I, I could go another week. Like I'm okay. And so I think just that when we're, our nervous system is clear and connected and our body is functioning the way that God created it to, the pain and dysfunction just goes away. So we can talk all day about like, yes, I think it's beneficial to get like prenatal massages and like you can be proactive and caring for your body in those ways. And I did all those things during pregnancy, but those are still addressing a lack of adaptation from the body, right? And so for increasing our body's ability to adapt, we just don't see the pain and discomfort. Uh, Moms are like cool. very positive around our office. They're not like, oh, I can't wait for this baby to come out. And that usually comes from a place of discomfort, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is so cool. That's, I mean, that's another, once again, it's like, okay, well, that is something to take note of, <laughs> mm -hmm. really consider it. Um, and so the last question that, that we had was related specifically to breech babies, which you already talked about how in your practice, you're, are you seeing breech babies that then flip or are you just like, is that not even a complaint really on your client's radar? The, a lot of the referrals I get, they know that these mamas need to be seen proactively. And so I'm not, I'm not getting moms that come in at like 36 weeks saying, Hey, my baby's breech and I need help. Mm -hmm. It's we're laying that foundation from the very beginning. And so I think that's why I don't see as many breech babies is because I'm seeing mamas before they're pregnant, then, you know, or, or very early on during their pregnancy and we're setting them up for optimal positioning instead of having to fix those issues later on. Mm -hmm. So I still think you should be seen as soon as possible. Now, if you're like 38 weeks pregnant and you're like, I am breech right now. And I didn't know that I could go to a chiropractor. What do I do? Still go. Absolutely yeah. still go. Um, because it can definitely just help your body do what it was created to do. But what I always tell mamas too, is like, 
your body and your baby are intelligent. And we're going to give your body every opportunity to work synergistically with your baby and not fight against that. Sometimes there are reasons why our babies are breech. Yep. And it, it can be a life-saving thing for that baby. I have seen it where moms have been squatting in the OR and they're like ready to do a breech vaginal delivery. And then it's like, we can't do it. We've got to do a C-section. And they did all the things. And then they do that C-section and they're like, oh my gosh, if that baby would have come out vaginally, mama would have hemorrhaged and we would have lost her. Like there's no way we would have been able, it was so bad. And you just don't know. So, you know, our goal is just to allow mom's body to do exactly what it needs to do. And if that is to be breach, then we're going to support that breach, whatever the options are, breach vaginal delivery or cesarean, you know, whatever care provider the mom has chosen and support preparing her body for that event. Because anytime, even if there is a surgery, so if there is a C-section, it's called a proprioceptive insult to the body. The pro your proprioception is what tells you where you at, are at in time and space, and it has been insulted. And so the body then goes into this overdrive of like, I've been insulted. I don't know where I'm at. And so it's no wonder that we have some disorientation after those things, because the body's trying so hard to figure out what's going on and it's preparing for those events and then preparing for the recovery after those. Mm, interesting. Oh, that kind of makes me think about, um, and you can tell me if this is, if this is correct or not, but I think about tongue tie revisions. Like, you know, I know, gosh, it's so beneficial for if you're going to have, if your baby's having a revision to do chiropractic and craniosacral before and after, would that be the same type of event? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we, we uh, do, we have specific care plans for pre and post phrenectomy okay. um, and my frequency recommendations, I'll go ahead and share it because people will probably think it's crazy every <laughs> single day for two weeks pre and every single day for two weeks post. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, that is a big deal. Like I, when we had to do that with our second daughter, it was, I felt like kind of people were like brushing it off. Like, Oh, you know, like it's fine. It's fine. It's a quick thing. Like it, and I'm like, this is a massive, this feels like a massive thing to me. And it was something that, you know, we had tried to, we didn't necessarily want to do that first step, but she wasn't gaining any weight, you know, like it was very clear, like, okay, this is not working. Um, and so we did, we didn't, we did not do that much chiropractic care, but if I would have known that that was, you know, helpful, that that's really great to know. Yeah. And you know, what we're seeing with like lip and tongue guys is that the floor of the tongue, I mean, there are pictures you can pull up online goes all the way down to the toes. Mm -hmm. So if you're just going to cut into that and it's like, it's fascia, which is like covering every single orifice of your body. So if you're just going to slice into that and think that the body's not going to recoil and react, like that's kind of wild thinking to me, it's, <laughs> it really it's tethered down to your toes. So yeah. it's really going to behave like a rubber band where if you're stretching a rubber band and you cut the middle of it, it's going to go womp mm -hmm. to the top and bottom. So we've got to really restore and repair in the body and connecting and bringing that back in a really gentle way. This is such great information. Thank you so much. Do you have any uh, anything else you would like to add when it comes to chiropractic care that comes to mind? Um, any important notes that you think moms should know about uh, preconception, pregnancy, or that immediate postpartum before we head into your story? I think maybe we could talk just a little bit about like that frequency of, of postpartum. Like yeah. when do you come back in? When do you want to bring a baby in? That's a pretty common question that I get. Mm -hmm. um, especially from the women that I serve too of like, Hey, so 
you know, I'm towards the end of pregnancy. Like, when do I come back? So I always tell people as soon as possible, again, as soon as you feel ready, I prefer within the first two weeks, but I also tell families to be on the lookout for any disruption to babies should be eating, sleeping, pooping. Mm-hmm. And if there is any disruption to that, if they're not eating as well as they should, if they're not pooping as well as they should, if you think, you know, it's normal for a baby to wake every like one to three hours in that phase. But if you think that they're waking and they're discontent, then I want you bringing yourself and that baby in as soon as possible. So oftentimes we'll be like the first stop for families on the way home from a birth center or a hospital, or if they have a home birth, sometimes we'll come and do home visits. I say sometimes because I was good about it until I was a mom myself. Yeah. (laughs) Now that I have my own family, I just tell, I'm like, I would love to be there, but I'm not super reliable in this season. So contact me. If I can make it happen, I will. If not, we'll try to figure out a time for you guys to come in quickly. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this air, I like to err on the side of of more rather than less and sooner rather than later Mm -hmm. so that we can be proactive instead of reactive. Right. Oh, that makes so much sense. Also my, both of my girls got adjusted on their first day of life. My chiropractor came and did a home visit. And what was so cool was with my second daughter, she was a water birth and I don't know, honestly, she was born quickly. Like I, I tend to push them out pretty quick. So I'm not sure that she like got that good, like squeeze of all of the juices out of her lungs anyway. And I'd also may have like dipped her a little bit under the water. I'm not sure. But when she was adjusted, my chiropractor was just, he was like lovingly just like holding her and rubbing her, did a quick adjustment. All of a sudden she was like, and just spit up so much liquid. It was unbelievable. And he, he was like, I have never seen that much liquid come out of a baby like immediately, but it was so helpful. I just keep thinking like, what if we wouldn't have done that? She would have been so uncomfortable at best. She would have been uncomfortable at worst. Like, gosh, I don't, I don't even know. But, oh, that was one of those moments where I was like, thank goodness for chiropractic care. Wow. Yeah. That's a really powerful testimony. Mm -hmm. For sure. Okay. Well, so now I would love to hear about your experience with pregnancy um, as a chiropractor, but also just as a pregnant mother and then your home birth experience. So what was your journey to pregnancy like? You know, we actually struggled. Um, We struggled with infertility for 18 months before we finally miraculously naturally conceived our little one. Um, It was, it was, that was really hard. It was a hard part of, of my life, especially as someone who like specializes in it. So I get to love on mamas and babies all day, every day. And it is, I think that is so healing, but also hard when that's like what you desire, you know? So we conceived our little one, um, after 18 months of trying and people often ask me, they're like, so what did you do differently like during your pregnancy? I'm like, actually, like, what did I do conventionally? Cause like, I didn't <laughs> <laughs> like nothing, like it's all, everything I did was like very different than what most people see and hear. Um, I didn't do like any ultrasounds and I made, yep. And I made that like as an informed decision, you know, I, I accepted, I tell people all the time, there are risks either way. Mm -hmm. So what risks can you live with? And so I chose the risks that I could live with. And, um, I always knew I wanted to have a home birth. I started studying birth years and years and years before I was ever pregnant. 
And so I remember my husband and I, like early in marriage, I was having conversations with him saying, Hey, I'm going to have a home birth. And he was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. And I was like, well, you know, like the next time you're pregnant and have a baby, you can choose where you do it. And I tell moms that all the time. And I'm like, that's probably not the most like respectful thing to say, but it's kind of true. Um, kind of, so, it kind of brings the point home a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that just explains a little bit more of my husband's and I dynamic. That might have to go into my, uh, file folder of things to recommend. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely said that, but you know, my husband, he came to the premiere of why not home with me. Um, we previewed that in school together at like a local theater. And so he's been very much like part of that learning process with me. But I remember one time in the car, we were talking and he goes, babe, I love you so much, but you've been like talking about birth for an hour. Like, can we just change the topic? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I've been word vomiting. So he's all, I've always known that I wanted to have a home birth. And I did so much just like bringing him along on that educational process with me. And then like asking him questions to help him figure those things out for himself that when we were actually pregnant, it wasn't a question. We knew that if it was safest for both me and my baby in that particular present pregnancy, that we were going to have a home birth. And so a lot of women are like, how do you get your husband on board? And like I was preparing him for years before. So, um, it's just something that it's a regular topic of discussion. It's not something that we like only talked about that one time, you know, right. I would say pharmaceutical products are another one of those topics of discussion that we've been having conversations about for years. It's not that we just got pregnant. And then all of a sudden there are these hundred things that we need to have decisions about we've been talking about those things for a very long time and educating ourselves for a very long time before we actually had to implement those decisions. Yep. I think that's very important for moms to hear. And I know that sometimes like you don't know until you're pregnant and you realize like, oh wait, oh my gosh, there's all this stuff that I need to learn. And, and that is a real situation. And I'm just grateful for the moms that take the time to do that when that's the case. But if you can prepare beforehand, beforehand, um, if you can take the time to think those things through, yeah, like you said, checking out ultrasounds and just routine interventions in general, like what are you comfortable with and really looking into the pros and cons, because it is so frustrating to me. And I feel like the mainstream <laughs> tends to do this where it's like they, they only talk about the pros and they never say like, well, but there could be a risk involved to this. And um, so really taking the time because we know as humans that there are pros and cons to every decision that we make. That's duh. So take the time to figure out what the possible side effects or cons could be to any situation. Um, but like you said, so ultrasounds, you talked about actually like where you're going to give birth beforehand. You talked about what pharmaceutical products you'd be comfortable with. I think another one that can go on that list for um, for moms and dads is circumcision beforehand. Just just looking into it before you even know what the gender of your baby is so that we're all on the same page with what's going to be going on. Because some those are topics that there may need to be time for education and back and forth to discuss and get on the same page about. But the beauty about home birth is it gives you a little bit of space to think about those things because it's not an automatic part of their process. Right. So, you know, at home, we have time to think about pharmaceutical products because they're not just readily available and rushing at us with needles, you know, mm -hmm. and like, they're not rushing at us with scalpels ready to take foreskin off either. 
So that was one of the things that we discussed. Like we didn't know the gender of our baby before we had her. And we talked a lot about circumcision and ultimately we were like, okay, here's, we kind of know where we stand with this, but we're going to wait until we see the gender of our baby. And then we know like there's time, there's like a two week time, you know, that you can give yourself more time to think about it if that's what you choose to do or not. And so, yeah, just not feeling you know, I don't think anyone should ever make a decision from a place of fear. It should always be from a place of peace. There are very few situations in life that I think fear-based decisions make the most sense. Um, and that's, you know, like life or death situations where you literally don't have time to think about it. And it all, it is just like fear, but besides that, it's like, you've got time Mm -hmm. and you should take it until you have peace. Oh, I love that. Very, very good. All right. So you guys were having these conversations about what you were going to choose. Um, and then it take it took you a while to actually conceive. What was it like once you found out you were pregnant? Did you already know what midwife you were planning to work with? Or did you start the interview process? I started the interview process. I interviewed two midwives. I get I know a lot of midwives in the area because of my career. Um, so I have relationships already and there were two that I knew I wanted to just see how, how they would serve me, you know, a little bit more intimately. And I went off of a gut feeling, um, well, first and foremost, and this is honestly what I encourage a lot of my mamas that I serve to do is I like kind of forecasted everything that was important to me during pregnancy, labor, birth, and early postpartum. And I asked specifically those questions. So a lot of times I get moms or people DM me and they're like, my doctor or my midwife won't let me decline the glucola drink. I have to do that. They won't let me test for gestational diabetes another way. And I'm like, well, then you hired the wrong provider because I asked that question from the beginning. Would you be okay with me declining any other form of gestational diabetes testing and just pricking my finger? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. I asked the question you know, legally in the state of Texas, you're not allowed to go past 42.0. And I think that's baloney. So I say, if my body needs to go past 42.0, how would you handle that? Would you allow that? Would you recommend induction? I know where they stand and I'm just not going to hire someone that doesn't align with what I want. Yep. Oh, that is such good advice. It's perfect. And I actually just recently released a podcast episode kind of about this and connecting with your midwife more. And one of the things that I feel like is important about that is, is it means you need to know, you need to know before you go into that interview, what's important to you. And yes. And so then once you know that, then yes, you can ask the questions. And even a mom asked me yesterday, Hey, do you have any midwives you would recommend? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, there's a ton, but, but you need to figure out what's important to you first because who I may recommend and what's important to me, like it was important to me that my midwife didn't require me to have a 20 week scan. There are many midwives and they're great, but they will not have you as a client unless you do that ultrasound. And I didn't want to be like forced to do that. I always said, if there's a medical indication for it, I'll do it. I'm not anti, but um, if there's no medical indication that I don't want to do it. And so that was part of my hiring process. But like for you or for another mom, like if they don't care, they're like, I kind of want to do it a 20 week scan anyways then that might mean that that midwife is still within like your scope of what you would want. And even though they're out of mind. So I think just being more clear on what's important to you and what you want is the most important thing. And I know people are like, Oh, if you have like a birth plan, then 
it's just, you know, your own expectations that you're going to be upset about later or whatever. But I think it's important to have birth expectations and then also know that what's within your control, you can have expectations about with understanding that sometimes those things are out of your control. And that's why I was like, if there's a medical indication for it, I'm okay doing it. And I'm not going to grieve the fact that I had an ultrasound and I didn't want to. It's like, no, I have peace because there were medical indications and it was necessary. Yep. It's all about control versus surrender. All the things, there are so many things that we can control. We can control exactly how we prepare. You know, we can do all of the things. We can feed ourselves nourishing foods. We can get adjusted. We can do all of these things. And then that means that it is easier to surrender when we know, okay, well, I took care of, I crossed my T's and I dotted my I's. Now this event has unfolded. Well, okay, I'm comfortable with that because I, I feel good from the place that I came from. I think it's also important to ask the question, what would cause me to high risk out of your care? Ooh, and I think yeah. people often don't know that they have high risk out of their midwife's care until they have, right? Mm-hmm. Until something comes up, they maybe they get diagnosed with gestational diabetes and their midwife isn't comfortable with them managing it nutritionally. And they say, you are, are no longer eligible for my care. And then they feel, oh, I, I have to go to a hospital. I have no options. It's like, no, you just hired the wrong midwife. That's so good. That's such a great question. So, all right. So you, based off of all of your questions that you asked, you found a midwife that you were comfortable and excited to work with. What was that um, prenatal experience like for you? Prenatal was wonderful. The midwife I hired actually worked at the same office as me. So I would adjust patients and then walk upstairs and go have my prenatal appointment. Um, It was incredibly supportive, very nurturing, loving. I never felt rushed. Um, I hired her off of this, uh, the Holy Spirit gut instinct of this is the person that's supposed to be at my birth. And my husband jokes that she trusts me too much (laughs) because she let me make a lot of decisions during labor that I don't necessarily, that I think he was kind of like, why'd she let you do that? And I'm like, because that's what I wanted. Like, I think he had this vision of midwives being really hands-on and he was like, she wasn't really hands-on. I'm like, I didn't want her hands-on. <laughs> that's I why said, I hired her. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm okay. If you sit in the corner and knit a, a scarf, because I know that once you get hands-on, then like, I, I, like I need it. There's something going on, you know? And so I wanted just a normal physiological labor and she supported me in all my decisions. Now that support, like she would, she would tell me her opinion. She'd be like, I would prefer if you did a 20 week scan, it gives me a lot of peace as a midwife. And, but she also trusted my gut instinct so much that at like 30 weeks, when I think we were revisiting it and she was like, you know what? I like have so much peace and confidence in you that I feel fine that you didn't do a 20 week scan. And I've never felt that before. Wow. Oh yeah. That's That is such a great feeling. I remember one time my midwife was talking to me because I had declined 20 week scan. I declined Doppler use. And I, there was one day where I felt like, I just like, I don't know, maybe I just need to, like, maybe I just need to do it. Do you think I should? And I was texting back and forth with her and she was like, Caitlin, like, do you trust yourself? Like that's, that's really the question is, do you trust yourself? Do you trust yourself to know when you need something or when you don't? Because that's really what this is coming down to. And it was like, Oh my gosh, you're a genius. Yeah. <laughs> you like know, this opportunity through preconception, fertility, and prenatal care is like the perfect opportunity to exercise your intuitive muscle that yeah. you inherently use as a mother. Oh, yeah. And so, if you step into a model where you're like, 
Hey, I don't feel like I should do this. And someone says, man, that doesn't matter. You're doing it anyway. And someone keeps authoritatively overpowering you. Then of course, when you're a mom, you don't trust yourself. And you're like, well, I, I don't feel like my kid needs antibiotics, but you know, my doctor said so. So I I guess that's what we're going to do. Okay. We've done five rounds of antibiotics. Well, I guess that's what my doctor said is right. And it's like, you have then lost that like inherent voice that you have. And so if you're able to practice it through all these decisions and hire a team that supports that, it just prepares you so much more for motherhood. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So, all right. So you didn't, you did, you were able to kind of go through and not, not do the ultrasound. You felt peace. Your midwife felt peace with your decisions. What was it like kind of towards the end of your pregnancy leading into labor? Like what was your early labor kind of experience? Yeah. So I was due on December 28th and my birthday is December 30th. And, um, I never shared my due date. That was something that, you know, I did, I am not a library book, so I never shared my due date. Um, I also did fetoscope instead of Doppler. And, um, I woke up on the 29th with like, like period cramps. And I was like, Ugh, I'm just feeling kind of crampy, but I felt great. And I honestly, there was a full moon on January 10th. And I was like, that was like around 42 weeks for me. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to have this baby in January. (laughs) I was fully prepared to go all the way through 42 weeks, but also I felt so good. I was so comfortable. I literally, and I never reached the moment of, man, I'm so ready for my baby to be here. Not that I didn't feel emotionally prepared to meet her, but like, I was just so comfortable and I loved pregnancy. Now it wasn't always easy. Like you know, first trimester, I was throwing up every one to three hours for 15 weeks. Like that was a really hard season for me, but I loved pregnancy. And I think too, because I longed for it for so long that I had, I just approached the whole thing with way more gratitude. Otherwise, um, I had those period cramps. My husband went to the gym to go work out and I was like super primal. And this was really cool because my husband knew that like I was in labor, even though I wasn't saying I was in labor and I was actively denying the fact that I was in labor because I was so like, the only way I can explain this, and this is like a horrible analogy, but it actually makes really sense is like when you have the stomach virus. So if you've never given birth before, this is the analogy I usually use. When you have a stomach virus, how do you behave? Do you turn all the music off? Do you need no sound? Do you take your clothes off because you're hot and you need, you need to like cool off. Do you want to be on your bathroom floor by yourself? Do you want to just sit in the toilet? Like what, how do you behave when you have a stomach virus? Because before you give birth, that's the most primal experience that you've had. For me, it's those things. It's, I want to be on my bathroom floor, a little pallet on the bathroom floor. I want to be as close to the toilet as possible. I do not want any sound and do not talk to me and do not touch me. And I usually am like pretty uh, like hot. And so I need to like, take my clothes off, be like, cool myself down. That's exactly how I behaved in labor. Yep. And so that's kind of a glimpse into that like primal, you know, behavior. And I was acting that kind of way, but in early labor. So I started realizing these, I I timed it and I was like, these contractions are like nine minutes apart. And I was like, so these aren't, these aren't just like cramps. These are like rhythmic. (laughs) Those were the only contractions I timed. So I timed those. And then I was like, all right, things are happening. Went to the bathroom, 
lost, I noticed that I lost my mucus plug, but even then you can have that early, you know, the rule of thumb is the longer, the early labor, the shorter, the active labor. So I was like, I could do this early labor for like 12 hours a day for the next two weeks and not have a baby. So I was in straight denial of like, this could not progress into anything, but I'm just going to like, you know, walk, bake, do, do my normal thing. And I kind of, we kind of did that. We kind of just had like a normal day. Didn't really time any, went on a walk. I was walking like super slow. (laughs) Um, then probably around afternoon at some point, I kind of started having to like close my eyes a little bit with these contractions, like couldn't really talk through them. Um, just had to focus on them a little bit more. And we let our midwife know, but we reached the like 411 mark, which is when you usually say like, Hey, midwife come over. And I told, I like very much told my midwife, I don't feel like I need you yet. Mm-hmm. Like I feel so much peace. I'm just rolling with it. My husband had like timed a few at that moment. And, um, we we're like, this is where we are, but like, I don't feel like I need your support. And then a few hours later, she was like, I'm just going to drive that way. <laughs> I think be in the was, neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. I think she was afraid that I was just going to be one of those people that is like, I don't need you. <laughs> you know what I decided actually? <laughs> Cause I was like, just sit in the corner. Like, don't, you know, like, like, um, yeah. So she came over and, and it was a good call on her part, which is so cool. How midwives are so intuitive in that way, because she got there and I was like very much in active labor did not very much in labor land. Um, didn't open my eyes to say hi to her really didn't have any acknowledgement of her and my mom showed up too and the birth photographer they all showed up and I really didn't care to know that they were there yeah um I that was probably about 12 hours into it at that point and the way I was behaving my midwife said we'll probably have this baby in the next hour now my labor was um a little traumatic, any, any labor that is like under two hours and then over eight hours is technically considered traumatic for mom and baby. So I was 12 hours into it at this moment, which is not, you know, abnormal for a first time mom. I decided I wanted to get into the birth tub. And so I do, and that felt great. And I was getting so groany and so low that at this moment, this is the only time that my midwife did something that I actively had communicated that I did not want. Mm -hmm. And she said, if you feel like pushing, give a few tries. And she knew I didn't want anyone to tell me to push. She knew I wanted to experience a fetal ejection reflex. And, but in those moments, like you are so vulnerable Mm -hmm. that even the people who like know you and love you the most and know your entire birth wishes can still accidentally say or do something and you'll listen to them because like, you're just, your hormones are so different. And so I did, and my body was not ready Mm -hmm. and I instantly regretted it. And it created a cervical lip for me, which is really common with a lot of first time moms, you know? Um, it's inflammation of the cervix and I didn't do any cervical checks, but I did have her check before I kind of started practice pushing because I just like, I think I was starting to doubt myself a little bit. And listen, Caitlin, I started doubting myself because up until that point, nothing was painful. Yeah. Wow. It was hard. It was hard work. Don't get me wrong. I felt like I was you know, thankfully as training as an athlete, I think helped like prepare my mind between the difference of pain versus pressure. 
And so it was a lot of pressure. It was like, I was standing on the, like the 200, I was doing like 200 repeats and I was standing at the line and I was like, <gasps> bodily almost. But yeah. You know, like, I'm like, I can't do it again. I can't do it again. And then the coach blows the whistle and you're like, and I'm doing it again. <laughs> And you, just, you just do it. Like your mind is like, I can't do it, but your body just does it. And so that's actually, I will. To me. Yeah, yeah. That's what it felt to me of like, I don't feel like I have anything left, but like, I keep going. And so it felt like really hard work, but I was, nothing was like, ouch. And to me, pain is like a very nerve nervous system type of pain. It's an ouch. Like there's a difference between muscle soreness. Like, I, I don't think you look at your muscle soreness and you're like, ouch. Mm-hmm. Now there can be like, pain, which is usually like a nerve pain that comes from maybe like overdoing a muscle. Mm -hmm. So the difference between pain and pressure was very clear to me and I had not had any pain. So that then created fear for me where I didn't want to push my baby out because if nothing had been painful, then I knew that that was going to be Mm -hmm. right. That's what I told myself. So I had my midwife check me and I was 10 centimeters dilated. And then she was like, if you wanted to try pushing, you totally could. Now being 10 centimeters dilated does not mean you're ready to push. No, that cervix doesn't just have to open. It has to retract back. Mm -hmm. So I did my trial push and I was like, this doesn't feel right. And I told her this doesn't feel right. She went back and checked my cervix. I went down to a seven. Oh, okay. So, okay. Quick question though. So you're saying she had said, if you feel like pushing, give it a try. Then she checked you and she checked me before. Okay. She checked you before because she was okay. She was kind of like, you could try pushing if you wanted. And I was like, I don't know if my body's ready for that. And she was like, do you want me to check you? And I was like, yeah, I do. Okay. She checked me and she was like, you're a 10. You really could try if you wanted. And I was like, there was no cervical lip at that point. No cervical lip. So Mm -hmm. I did a trial push. I think I probably did a few. And I was like, I finally was like, this isn't feeling right. But I didn't, I didn't know what I was supposed to be feeling, but I'm like, this isn't feeling right. And so I stopped and I got out of the, or I was about to get out of the tub and she was like, let me just check you again. And she checked me again. And it was a seven. And she told me not in that moment, but later when we talked about it, she goes, you, I I'm telling you, you were a 10, like you went from a 10 to a seven. But the thing is, is it's really common for women to experience that when they are really scared. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate when, I mean, I feel like I've heard so many times, like people say, you can't go back in dilation. Oh my gosh, you can like, you absolutely can. You think your body is that like inflexible. Of course it can go back and forth depending on what hormones are being sent. That's it's silly to think otherwise. But I mean, I had all the signs, like I had just thrown up when I got into the tub. So we knew I was in transition. Like they were literally like, this baby's going to be here in an hour. It was literally just that comment of, and my midwife and I processed through this, but it was just that comment of you could try pushing and me trying pushing and that not being what my body needed as simple as that was. I then spent the next 20 hours no. in, in active labor working on that cervical lip. And it was one of the most defeating moments of my life. The cervical lip, I was so pissed at the cervical lip. My, um, I have a womb massage specialist who is one of my dear, dear friends. And she served me all throughout fertility and pregnancy. And she came, she's a doula, but I didn't hire her as my doula. I had my husband as my doula, but we called her and she came over. And the first question she asked to my birth team was, did she push too early? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That brings up a lot 
that just brings up a lot like just and you know what I'm thinking about the fact that you you were so intuitive throughout your pregnancy I think probably for people who have exercised that muscle more when something happens like that when you kind of like you're you're vulnerable in that moment you go with something that in your right mind you would have known like yeah I'm not going to do that I think that it probably affected you more than it would have affected someone who like hadn't already honed that skill because they're they're just like okay well whatever like you know but with you it's like your body was like no (laughs) and it and then it told you in such a very physical way because you were so in tune with that gosh that's which I mean in that moment it's like well darn but I mean it is I know you know it is it's a true testament that like no one knows your body better than you and you always have to listen to your body and so even the most kind loving like this wasn't a typical like you know people here where it's like, my doctor told me to do something that I didn't want to do. Like, it wasn't one of those situations where I didn't feel like I was being honored. Like, like my, I genuinely know that my midwife was like trying to help me. It was just not like, I mean, I did tell her, I don't want you to tell me when to push. I want my body to do it on its own, but I also know where she's coming from where it's like, I am a first time mom and she knows how stubborn I am. (laughs) She told me before I even went into labor, she's like, I'm not worried about you with transferring at all, because I know that you have the endurance to labor for 60 hours at home yeah. and, and you will push me to the nail on staying home. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I will. Yeah. Yes. So right. I, all in all, I, it was 32 hours of labor and it did, um, you know, it did tear me down to some places. I didn't know I needed to be torn down to. I approached birth and labor from the most confident perspective because I've been studying it for so long, had witnessed it so many times and was just ready, longed for it myself and was ready to experience it for myself. And I, there was a moment after that where we kind of regathered and reset. And I came out into the living room with my whole birth team. And I had to confess to them that I was scared to push my baby out because I needed to get that out of my head. Um, and that, you know, nothing was painful to me at that moment, but then I, you know, retroactively, I started studying cervical lips and there's actually really, really, divine purpose for them. And I'm so grateful for it. And that if your baby is not in that perfect positioning and you put a little bit of that, like pushy pressure on them, your body will create a cervical lip. And that gives them a little bit of, um, like inflammation to then have to work their head against as they're moving into that better position. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool now that I think back at it, but the thing is, is of course my body wasn't ready to push in that moment because my baby was not in the right position. And so if I would have just given it the time it needed, it probably would have done it on its own. Mm -hmm. But because I pushed, then my body had to kind of like work, work against and with that. And it took a little bit longer. Oh yeah. That makes sense. So, um, the course of my labor, I went in and out of transition a total of three times. Those stories are so hard. (laughs) Whenever I hear like transition related things that are just not normal, like, Oh, you just breeze through it. It's like, Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I, I definitely had moments of being like semi-chill and then reaching, you know, like things peaking, me vomiting, things getting intense and then feeling defeated of like the cervical lip is, is still here and is really preventing this from progressing more. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I also pooped like 10 times during pregnancy or during birth, um, which I recently saw a video of my friend's cow having a baby and that cow like was like tooting and pooping every time it was pushing. And I was like, yes, girl, normalize <laughs> that. But they, 
they really do say they're like, don't ever have anyone on your birth team that you wouldn't be comfortable having a bowel movement in front of. And I'm like the walking testimony of that because I was like sitting on the toilet, having a contraction. And I was like pooping while I was having the contraction because of like the pushy pressure. And my midwife is like checking fetal tones on my belly at the same time. And I'm like, you can literally see the poop coming out. (laughs) (laughs) You're in a prime location to see everything. (laughs) I pooped in the birth tub when I was pushing like, and that's why they have those little fishnets, you know, to like scoop out the little, it was just, we laughed a lot during my labor, even though it was so hard. Like it was a joke how many times I pooped, but I was eating a lot too. I was in labor for 32 hours. Like I was feeding myself. Yeah. I was eating a bunch of soups and stuff. So, um, labored. I just remember desiring to just sleep. I just wanted to have some really good rest. And I wasn't saying I didn't want to be in labor anymore. I was like, I just want to sleep for a good chunk. And then we can like reconvene, you know, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't get that. Um, at one point, my best friend, who's a chiropractor came over to adjust me and my contractions were like one minute apart, just one on top of the other. So I was just having these rolling contractions that it felt like I just wasn't getting anywhere. I started experiencing I had two ouch moments during that, this like second part of my labor. And one of them was I started getting like shooting pubic bone pain to where I knew my baby wasn't in a good position. Yeah. And that's when I had the womb massage specialist come over and she did, um, she's an indigenous Rebozo worker. So like where Rebozo work comes from. And, um, she did a bunch of Rebozo work on me with a Rebozo that she hand knit for me myself during my fertility journey. Yeah. So she did work on me and that helped a lot. And then, um, I eventually reached a moment that I don't think anyone on my birth team expected me to get to. And now I don't feel like I expected myself to get to, and I don't feel weaker because I reached that moment, but it just, I surprised myself, I guess, because I was so confident going into it that I then reached a moment where I got extremely pissed off, (laughs) but now I look back on it and I'm like, oh, that that's a normal part of labor. Yeah but I got extremely pissed off and I looked at my husband and I said, I want to transfer. And he said, Oh no, you are not. (laughs) And which is funny, you know, thinking years and years before he's like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with you having a home birth. And then I'm having a home birth and I'm like, I don't want a home birth. And he's like, Oh, you're having a home birth. Finish it. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, I want to transfer. And he's like, no. And I'm so mad at him that I'm like, get the midwife. And so he had Cassia, my midwife come in. And I told her, I said, I want to transfer. And I pretty much, I'd gotten myself caught in my educated mind, which that's a really hard place for me now that, you know, thinking about hopefully the opportunity to do this many more times, I would do more mental and emotional preparation because for me having so much education in this space, I couldn't stop analyzing and assessing my own body. Oh yeah. And I had convinced myself that I was one of those people. I've seen it all the time that needed an epidural to get past the cervical lip. And I knew that if once I got an epidural, our baby would be here within like 30 minutes to an hour. Mm. Like I knew that I was just holding so much tension and pressure with that, that I couldn't get past it. And I was so frustrated with it. And if my body could just relax, And I wasn't getting any rest time. I was having contractions every minute. Mm -hmm. So I just could not relax enough to get past this. So the midwife finally reasoned with me, which I now know the entire team knew at that moment, this baby's going to be here in an hour. Like 
we've, we've gotten to this point again. Right. So she said, let's do five guided pushes, lithotomy position on your back. Let me just get a real good visual of the cervical lip. If, if you can't push past it with those five, we'll transfer you. And I was like, deal. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I'm so glad I didn't transfer. I'm so glad, you know, they all had to have a meeting in the living room though without me. <laughs> and they were like, did anyone hear that Courtney was okay transferring for any reason at any moment? And they were all like, nope. <laughs> and they're like, okay, so we're not going to let her. <laughs> you know, unless there's a me- medical indication. Right. But now for me too, that's something I look at with finding a midwife. Mm-hmm. I now know that that is going to be my behavior. There are many midwives who have rules where it's like, if you ask to transfer three times, we'll go ahead and let you transfer. Right. I don't want that because yeah. I was begging to transfer way more than three times. And that would have put me in a hospital. And now like that is, I mean, that is just not where I want to be at all ever yeah. unless I'm dying. So I laid on my bed right here, laid on my bed mm-hmm. and did five guided pushes. And I think after like the second or the third cervical lip was gone, the laying on the back, which my birth team also told me, we need to get you on your back a little bit. Cause I was having that pubic bone pain. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to birth on my back. That's not optimal birth position. <laughs> don't you guys know <laughs> I want to be on all fours. And, um, it's just so humbling the whole experience, you know, of like, I wanted to be on all fours. And truly, I don't think there is an optimal birth position. I think there's an optimal birth position for you. All fours was causing me a lot of pubic bone pain. And we needed her head to slide back past my pubic bone, which means I needed to be on my back. So after like the second or third moved past the cervical lip, literally she was crowning. And they were like, I just remember them saying, you, the cervical lip is gone. And I looked at all these faces, which I didn't have a whole lot of people. I was really protective over who was here, but the few people that were there, I looked them all in the eyes and I said, I can do this. And after hours and hours of doubting myself and begging to transfer, they needed that for me. And they like all started crying and, um, she was born like a few minutes later. Oh man, that is, there is so much to this, you know, so much to, we've talked about how, you know, you were so prepared, like you, you knew so much about this and yet still there was something for you to learn and to glean in this labor journey. And I just feel like that is what it's all about. You know, that is, that is the stuff that motherhood is made of. And as difficult as that birth sounds like it was as traumatic in ways, as it sounds like it was, I am sure it sounds to me like you really gained something. You learned something new about yourself and about the process, the humbling process of bringing life into this world. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I just know like, you know, after that, I never felt stronger than I did after that birth. And even there's those few weeks, like I felt more proud of my body, more confident in my own skin, which is such a weird not weird. It's just countercultural. Mm-hmm. Like the messaging you hear is that like, oh, you've still got the baby weight. And oh, like, you know, I don't know, like you hear that kind of messaging. And like, I technically weigh, weighed then like the same that I do now, but like my body looked different and I like loved my body. I was less critical of my body then than I am of it now. And I think about that all the time. I'm like, what is so different? Like, why am I so critical of my body now? Like my body still did that. It's the same body. 
And like my weight really hasn't changed. It's like proportioned a little different, but like my weight hasn't changed. It's just, yeah, I don't know. That was just so interesting to me. And I think that there's also the idea of that you lose yourself in motherhood. You know, it's this, it's a loss of self and, you know, in some ways, sure, but there's also, (laughs) it's also such a gain. And when we, if we were to put it on a scale and put it in a balance, I think when you are prepared for what the transformation into motherhood is, it's, it's a lot harder to see it as a loss. It's so much more a gain of this is the woman that I am. Like, these are the things that I do as a woman, the the God-given gifts that I can, (laughs) that I I brought a life. I co-created a life and brought it into this world. Like, oh my gosh, what beauty and power is there behind that? Mm -hmm. It's just amazing. Yeah. And, and I love the idea of like, if we could just continue that, if we could continue that one year, two years, three years, forever into postpartum, that appreciation of what we did, what we do on a daily basis. Oh gosh, how much, how much easier would it be to just feel free in our skin? Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Oh, so with your postpartum, how did you approach it? What, did you have anything specific that you wanted to make sure that you did in a specific way postpartum to heal? Absolutely. I took postpartum really seriously. Um, I definitely followed the book, the first 40 days. And so it shares a lot about, you know, all how different cultures handle postpartum, but the common theme is a significant amount of rest. So for 40 days, I focused on just snuggling and resting in bed. I wasn't going for walks. Of course I was getting like fresh air every day. Cause that was important to me. And in Texas, it's really nice. You know, I, I, birthed my baby on my 28th birthday. So I had her on my same birthday and, um, that time of year, it's like still in the seventies here. So seventies is lots of sunshine. And so we had plenty of time outside, but really like I just snuggled in bed and, and drank and ate all warming foods. I felt probably the most anxious about my postpartum support while I was pregnant And one of my biggest fears, well, first of all, one of my only pregnancy food aversions I had was I like could not eat like processed food, which I'm really grateful for, but it was like really, really funny. And especially for me, they're like, of course, like you're, you can't eat processed food. I did not care to eat out. I did not care to have anything that wasn't made in my own kitchen. Mm -hmm. So I then got very nervous about what I, what postpartum was going to look like, because I was like, I think a lot of people are going to want to make meals for me, but like, it's not going to be the quality that I want. And I don't want to be like beggars can't be choosers. So I don't want to be like a brat and be like, is this organic? You know, (laughs) sorry. Was this grass fed and pasture raised? (laughs) I know, but I'm like, I also like don't want to eat it if it's not. Right. And so I like had a meltdown with my family and with my community group. And thankfully they were like, just send us a list of recipes that you like, and we'll make those. And so they did that. And then it's funny because, you know, in postpartum, I was like, mom, will you make me your Mac and cheese? Like I ended up being like fine with some of the like normal things that I was anticipating. I wasn't, but I did make for myself like lots of nourishing bone broth soups and like, I'm just a soup person in general. I make a soup like every single week for my family. And so just made myself a lot of nourishing foods that I froze and then could reheat later. But the biggest key piece is 
you know, nutrition, most women are not eating enough. And especially when breastfeeding, people always ask, what supplements can you take to increase supply? And I'm like, drink more water and eat more food mm-hmm. first and foremost. If you're not doing that, you're not going to have great supply no matter how much you take. Mm-hmm. So um, my husband did have to go back to work. And so I really just was home with him and wrote my daughter for like a week. And then I kind of just had to figure it out on my own. And I would go to the kitchen first thing every morning. And I had a big tray mm-hmm. and I would just throw on it I would cut up cheese, put fruit, some hummus that I made with some veggies. Like I would put together this massive snack tray that would last me at least until like two or 3 PM. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like my meals. I would go reheat my meals, but at least like every time that I was nursing, which is so much, I was like making sure that I had plenty of food and water so I could stay in bed for the majority of the day. Yeah. Oh, that's such good advice. Yeah. I really, um, recommend the three tier carts that you can get like at target or different on Amazon. I think I got mine on Amazon, but like the three tiers are so great because you can have like a full snack, one or two tiers for snacks. And then you can put like your diapers and, you know, like anything else that you need, like right there. So you have your nursing station, right where you are. And if you end up moving to the couch or whatever, like you just roll your little cart along and take it with you. So you're not up and down all the time. That's so true. I did have one of those, but I also had the baby bay, um, like bassinet attachment Hmm. and I didn't, we bed share like very safely and very intentionally, but I didn't know I wanted to do that, but I just didn't know if that was going to like work best for my baby. Um, and so I had the baby bay attachment, which ended up just being a food tray carrier, <laughs> but I had the, the three tier thing next to it, but because of the edges of the baby bay, I really can't reach the lower two. Yeah. But the top part, I did do all the diapers and everything. That's very cool. But yeah. you know what I would do next time I have a Berkey water fil- filter and I would honestly just set that on my nightstand instead of, I had like the big jugs, but you need so much water during that time. I would just put the whole filter there instead. <laughs> Put, put it on the cart, like wheel it back and forth. One of the most annoying things to me was like, you know, in becoming a mom and your capacity changes, but it was that, first of all, I feel very equipped to sit and lay in bed all day. And I have no problem asking other people to do things for me. But what I would, would feel bad about is when my husband would like, Hey, I'm bringing you some bone broth. And then he'd be walking out of the room and I'd be like, Hey, Oh, can you get me more water? And then he'd get me more water. And then he'd come in. But while he was getting me water, I realized that I was also out of carrots Mm -hmm. and I'd be like, Oh, can you get me carrots? And then he's doing like three trips and he was so kind, but he'd be like, could you like tell me this all at once? And I'm like, I can't because it's like not in my brain all at the same (laughs) time. So just ways that, you know, if you, I feel like in general, most moms struggle having people serve them. And so if there's things you could set up in your bedroom by like having, just have the whole water filter in there. So you can continue to fill up your own water. If that would bring you more peace, like it would for me. So I wouldn't have to ask for water so much. Those are, that's a really, really smart practical tip. Yeah. I like that. Oh my goodness, Dr. Courtney, this was amazing. You brought so much information through discussion of chiropractic, but also I just feel like I learned so much through your story and your experience. Um, I know that the listeners are going to feel the same way. So thank you so much for that. If, is there anything after all that we've discussed that stands out to you, any way that you would encourage mothers, whether they're 
you know, pregnant or considering pregnancy, postpartum, anything that sticks out to you that you'd like to touch on? I think I really just want to encourage moms that they know their body best. And even me as their chiropractor who sees them multiple times a week, every week, I'm only seeing you for a few minutes, you know, in the grand scheme of all of it. And so there is no doctor, no provider who knows your body better than you. And I just wish that if there's anything you can do to practice that intuitive muscle and get to know yourself even more, I say, keep doing it and do it as much as possible before you get pregnant during pregnancy, before you go into labor, and especially, you know, before you become a mom, because it'll just, that'll be the most important thing in equipping you through motherhood. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Could you let everyone know where they can find you, find more information about you, about our well house, everything you're doing? Absolutely. So I am just Dr. Courtney Kayla on Instagram. My last name, it looks like Kala, K-A-H-L-A, but it's pronounced Kayla. And I have my own website, which is drcourtneykayla.com. And just some of the resources I have on there is I have a tab on my website called chiropractic, and it's where you can get the information you need to be able to find a chiropractor near you. So just to equip you to be able to find someone who would serve you really well. I also have a chiropractic directory that has a few hundred chiropractors on it where they assess the nervous system. And so you could at least start your search there and see if there are chiropractors near you. And then you could look and see if they're Webster certified and all that good stuff. But then I am the owner of our well house. And so that is our well house on Instagram. And we also have our own website, ourwellhouse.com, which has information about all of our providers and how we can serve you if you are in the North Texas area. Some of our providers do offer virtual appointments. And so that's something that you could look into too for like pelvic floor PT or functional nutrition or functional medicine. But um, that's where you can find us. Awesome. Dr. Courtney Kayla, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thanks, Caitlin. Wow, E. Wow, wow, wow. I am so honored to have been able to learn from Dr. Courtney today. What a wise, wonderful woman. How many W's can I say in one sentence? As we head into today's episode roundup, I will do my best not to turn this into a 10-minute speech. Number one, I love the way that Dr. Courtney approached the selection of her care provider. Yes, there were a number of providers in her area that she liked and trusted, but she knew that she needed someone who was going to be comfortable with the informed decisions she was planning to make during her pregnancy and labor. She knew the right questions to ask. What would cause me to risk out of care with you? What procedures would you be uncomfortable with me declining? Knowing what you want in a care provider before you walk in for the interview makes this so much easier. Make sure you check out episodes 157 and 159 if you're looking for more specific help in this area. I will link those below. And number two, I really appreciate the discussion of how vulnerable we are to ideas in labor. Dr. Kayla knew she wanted to fully listen to her body, but when her midwife gave her very loving tip of giving a few pushes if she wanted, Dr. Courtney did, even though outside of labor, she had adamantly wanted to experience the fetal ejection reflex on her own. Listen, midwives are human, and like Dr. Courtney said, this was totally well-intentioned. But it does go to show us that nobody outside of your body can feel what's going on inside of your body as well as you can. This is a great lesson for all of us to learn from. 
If your midwife gives you advice, it can be really easy to just go along with it. Of course, we trust them. That's why we hired them. But remember to trust yourself too. Listen to the advice, yes, but then try to take a moment before you accept it just because you think that's what you're supposed to do. And finally, wow, labor can be so, so mental. Dr. Courtney, the mother that her midwife said she had zero worries about desiring to transfer because her endurance and grit got to a vulnerable place where she needed her team's support and reminder that she could, in fact, do this thing. And do it, she did. Okay, my friends, I could go on and on, but I will wrap it up here. Be sure to check Dr. Courtney Kayla out on Instagram as she is constantly sharing so much valuable information for free. That's all I've got for you today, and I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.